100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I'm joined by Steve Shirk of Shirk's Guide Service. Steve is a guide on public land in the mountains of Pennsylvania and spends more time in the woods than just about anyone. We discuss Steve's trail camera data from the 2022 deer season compared to both myself and my dad's cameras. So it totals about 250 plus cameras in the big woods. So this should be a good one. Steve has been a friend of mine over the years, and I really enjoy his stuff and learning from him as he hunts similar type terrain and woods. So excited about that. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a story coming out of Virginia from Jonathan Neese. Jonathan wrote in, Sawyer Neese and I, his dad, hunted this cold front on November 13, 2022. It's muzzleloader season here in southwest Virginia, and we had a young four-point buck walk out in the field. We watched him freshen up a couple of scrapes on the edge of the field. After about 30 minutes, we spotted some horns cresting over the hill. It was a monster to us. That buck went to the scrapes behind the four-point and made his mark. Sawyer, who is nine, was behind the gun prone using my backpack as a rest. I pulled the hammer back and told him it's yours if you want it. I was watching the deer through my binoculars and boom, the gun went off. The deer took off running and the sound sounded like he may have missed and hit a tree. We walked to where the deer was and there was no hair or blood. Sawyer and I just started doubting as we walked and weren't finding any sign of blood. I saw like where a crash in the leaves may have happened, and just beyond that, I could see horns and a white belly. I told him, let's walk up this way, and he saw it lying there. He turned to me and jumped into my arms and just started weeping with excitement and relief. He ran to the deer and could barely talk. The biggest buck to date for him here in southwest Virginia. <laughs> I, I love that story. It's awesome seeing kids get involved in it and the stories that come in with them. I urge everybody to go over and check it out on East Meets West Hunt on uh, Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. Be able to check out the photos from Sawyer's beautiful buck with his dad, Jonathan. So congratulations, guys, and thanks for sharing that story. And uh, the only news I have this week before we jump into this episode is Timber Ninja's pre-order goes live February 24th with a Q&A for email subscribers on the night of the 23rd. Sign up for their email list at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com for the exclusive discount and information. So check that out. And uh, other than that, I hope everyone's taking advantage of some good weather and getting out in the woods a little bit, doing some scouting. I'll be out of town. I won't be back in PA until March 1st. And then once I'm back, I'm going to be hitting the woods pretty hard and uh, trying to get down to West Virginia as well to do some scouting, get some things set up. I've been e-scouting like crazy on the Spartan Forge web map, looking down at uh, a lot in West Virginia because I'm really trying to figure that out. So I've been spending a lot of time there. And not everybody has this yet, but you wait until you get to see um, the Spartan Forge's web map once it's finished with all of the extra features to it that that's basically taking a lot of the features from the phone and more and applying it to the web map. So I've been testing that for the last like four months. Excited for that to go out live to everybody else. But uh, with that being said, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. All right, Steve Shirk, welcome back to the show, buddy. 
Hey, it's been a while, but I'm definitely excited. It's one of my favorite podcasts, so it's always an honor when you choose me to be your guest. Yeah, man, you're welcome on anytime. But I, I did look back and I realized it was in 2022. I don't think you were on at all. The years prior, you were on multiple times throughout. So I, I apologize to the listener base <laughs> that I didn't didn't have you on this past year. But it's good to good to get to catch up. You and I stay in contact pretty often. Uh, so it's, uh, it's yeah, it's good to catch up. Amen. Are you no, looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a great talk. So are you? Uh, um, we were just talking before we started recording. You know, typically in the in the winter time, you're doing uh, you're you're snow plowing, and we've had a pretty mild winter so far in Pennsylvania. And I know it's not that way out west, but at least over here, it's like we've had a pretty great winter. And uh, yeah, so what what's that been like for you? Oh, it's been pretty nice. And, you know, in my business, I have several employees and we do a lot of commercial work. So it's been a very low stress winter, which is nice because it's a very stressful job. I don't think if you've never done snow removal, especially commercially, um, because there's a lot of responsibility and you're constantly on call. So the the low stress amount, amount of stress has really been nice on me. And then obviously, getting some extra time in the woods. Um, you can't, I, you know, really can't ask for much more than having a mild winter. Cause like I told you, most of our best, uh, or, or our biggest clients, you know, pay so much for the whole season. So it's been, uh, it's been kind of my advantage in a lot of ways. And I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. It stays like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. It, uh, uh, yeah, that's, I was telling you before you, my dad and I were talking about it and we're like, man, you know, like for, for anyone that does know removal, this is definitely one of those years. If you do have contracts like that, that that's a positive thing to have, because I do know, so I was, yeah. I have not been on your side as far as the one doing the snow removal, but I've been on the, the commercial side of hiring people to do that and seeing like, you know, I'm calling, Hey, you know, we got worker, we got a shift change at 6am and we got a bunch of snow and trying to get things cleared off. So people aren't slipping and falling and all of that stuff. And that, that's gotta be crazy, especially on those, yeah. those winter years where you just, you're getting pounded by snow. Yep. No, cause it's uh it's one of those things you sign up for and it's not like it's a Monday through Friday or it's, it can be a 24 seven holidays. It doesn't matter. So, uh, I've seen really tough years and busy years. And like I said, I'm just, uh, just thanking the good Lord that he gave me a nice mild winter so far. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So Steve, I wanted to, you and I have been talking back and forth about kind of the, the weirdness of last deer season. And I thought it'd be a good, good opportunity for, us to just kind of get on here and talk a little bit about uh, the 2022 deer season and some of the data that that you've collected. Um, I mean, you're running what over 150 trail cameras now. Yeah, we ran roughly 170 last year. That was the most we had out at once, but anywhere <laughs> from 150 to 170. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's that's crazy. And and uh and so I I don't have nearly that much, but I'm running just over fifty now. And then my dad's got about fifty and I ha- I have all that data and notes here. So I was like, man, we got we got a lot of intel and I'm curious to to talk about some of the trends. But I kinda wanna just start by just talking about how your deer season went in general before we kind of dive into some of those those details. So if you wanna kind of just talk a little bit about last year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, personally for me, um, it was a pretty slow start, um, and I'm not much of an early season hunter. It's not that I don't like it, but it's still a little bit busy landscaping in that, that time of year. So generally, I don't do a lot of early season, but you know, I try to save my time for closer to the rut. And uh, like I said, it was it was pretty slow. Um, I passed up uh, a few decent deer roughly like October, I think the one better day I had might've been like the 19th and then had a couple good days late October, but usually that's when I connect and that hasn't, or that wasn't the case this past season. And then for me, uh, early November was brutal. I know you were fortunate, but, uh, for me, it was extremely slow and kind of a long story short, I ended up getting my PA buck on November 12th, um, which when we talk, we'll bring up the data, like it was a really, really good day to be in the woods up here. And, uh, I killed, you know, that buck that day. And then, but in New York, uh, I really didn't do that. Well, I did pass up 13 different bucks, uh, throughout gun season in New York. Um, I only ever really had a couple encounters with mature deer over there. Uh, so just, it was a one buck year for me. I only hunt two States anyways. Um, but it was just a really weird year. There was a lot of highs. There was a lot of lows. There might have been more lows than highs this year. It just seemed like if you weren't out there in those key windows of, of, of the right time and, you know, just it just wasn't so typical as usual or didn't have a good long stretch of good movement, I didn't think. But I was still fortunate for the deer that I got in PA, and I still had a very fun, and I still feel, you know, it was a very rewarding season. And just being able to be in the woods as much as I am able to to do especially with my job like i'm very fortunate yeah no most definitely and and i i didn't i didn't do a great job at the beginning of an intro as i kind of assumed that everyone has heard you on here before but just a a quick background so Steve does so I'll just kind of roll with it here at first and you can add to it but Steve has a landscaping company so he's really busy all the spring summer and early into the fall there but you also run a, a guiding service uh Shirks guide service um in northern Pennsylvania hunting public ground big woods stuff and Steve spends more time in the woods than just about anybody that that I know and so to hear that those that you know you were having those struggles i don't mean to say like that it feels good because i don't mean that for you but i think all of us were in that same same boat and now <laughs> i got lucky on november 4th but that was that was the only deer that i had seen in like five days like the one that i shot so it was it was very rough it was believe it it was uh i mean obviously no matter what yep. like you can have when it's the rut you can have opportunities but it was it was the worst deer movement that i had seen in a long time and i spent a decent amount of time in the woods there from about october 25th through that november 4th time frame when i when i shot my deer and it was 
it was painful. And even on some of the days that had decent weather, I still, it was still not as great. Now there were some windows. My camera told me I just wasn't in the right spots, but it was, uh, it was definitely just kind of an, an off year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was, uh, it was like, I mean, there was movement this year and especially in the rut, but it was, it was more confined movement. Like if you weren't in the actual ballpark, it's not like it was widespread where you could be in six different spots and kill a good buck in one day. It's like you had to be in just that one stand in that one location. And, and it wasn't like there was a consistent pattern. Like he might be here one day and not there for the next six. So it was very confined except for, uh, I would say roughly about November 12th to I'll have it when we go through the data, but I'd say November 12th to like 21st is when I feel was the best time uh, in the deer woods, at least in this part of the country from, from what I was seeing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let's, let's dive into that, that detail. Cause I, into that data, because I do have some things to add there, but I figure I'll wait until we kind of get into those timestamps. So talk about like your, your data, how you collect it, uh, what, what you're doing with that. Yeah. So what I do, and I've done it for five or six years now, um, I record uh, daytime buck pictures from October 1st to December 10th. And that's basically because that's during Pennsylvania hunting seasons, whether it's archery or gun. Um, and then I, I used to keep track of like moon phase, barometric pressure, wind, and all those things are a factor. But as I was doing it for a few years, what I was really noticing, at least in, in my area, uh, just seemed like temperature had the biggest influence on, on these, these, you know, big movement days. So that's what I've really just been focusing on the past few years is just temperature. So I write down the high and low temperature each day during the study. And then, you know, at the end of the season, I gather all my camera cards and, uh, it's not so much I'm counting like every buck photo that I get, but, you know, say if you have a buck, working a scrape and you get five pictures of him well then i would only count that as one sequence you know one buck picture per se um so uh you know i've been doing it like i said for five or six years now and it's really just it's just amazing uh you know surprisingly because i never thought it was going to be like this but it's always been a little different every year like some people will tell you that man you know november third through the ninth every year you can count on it and you can count on rutting activity but it's like if you really want to hit it just right some years it's just a crapshoot you you just never know and it, to me it's it's been mostly weather influenced than anything else yeah no that that makes that makes a lot of sense and and it is difficult when you're starting to collect this data especially with 170 cameras to it's very time consuming and to be able to write down all of those other things as far as the barometric pressure and going through the moon phases and all those different studies like that's that's kind that's really difficult to, to be able to collect all yeah. that stuff so it's you know it's not a bad idea like you did as far as like all right what's the biggest trend that's affecting movement you know which sounds to be temperature and weather and like let's just let's focus on collecting the data on that and and really be able to dive into it which i think that's a that's a good move like up until really the way i've been collecting my data has been 
more around specific deer more so than like going through all of it in daylight movement. And like, I'll have, say there's like yeah. four or five bucks that I'll have across these areas. Like I'll, I'll start logging data. And then like in my spreadsheet, I'll have like, I'll come up with a name for the buck so I can like filter by him specifically and almost like build a multi-year like pattern or, or somewhat of patterns on these deer yeah. just because there's so much data to go through, um, to be able to, so that helped me kind of focus on it. And then, and I put a bunch of details and notes in there as far as like, okay, weather, wind direction, um, you know, other notes that might be like, okay, which way is he coming from that type of stuff? And I'd put that in, but it was on a much smaller data set. Like I didn't, I didn't have as much to, to focus on or as much to type up, I guess, or look up background data because I was focusing on specific deer. But what I've found is like, it is so important on you just areas and times in general, like the way you're doing it. And it kind of made me think a little bit differently this year based on hearing what you're doing. And then my dad's done it the same way that you have, um, over the last few years, I think he has like four years of data on it. And, uh, I was like, there's, there's a lot of really cool trends that you can see from it. Not really worrying about specific deer, but worrying about just the, the dates to be out there and, and, I know like for me, I love targeting specific deer, but I'll shoot other deer. And I believe you're the same way on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, I don't think some people that have hunted these kind of places really understand how difficult it is just to shoot a mature deer. So, you know, it's nice to always get a big Pope and young or something better than that. But any mature mountain buck, in my opinion, is a true trophy. And, uh, you know, I always, every year, and I know you do, like I get really big deer on camera that I would love to shoot. But then again, like I don't always have my heart set on a certain deer knowing that the chances are few and far between and to get an opportunity or a couple, maybe a few a year, like it's hard to pass up a mature deer because it is such an accomplishment in the woods that we hunt. Yeah. Yeah. It it truly is. And and uh so th yeah but anyways i, I just kind of wanted to start by looking at that that how we're kind of analyzing that data because I, I geek out on that stuff and that's why i love he like looking at your yep. posts on instagram and facebook <laughs> and like how you dive into it because it's just like i i, I find like when i as i've interviewed hundreds of like successful hunters like everyone's got their thing but most people are detail oriented in one way or another, you know, and they, they pay attention to those things. And I think data is so, so critical. I was just talking to my dad the other day too. And I want to, I want to talk to him about it, but I, I haven't yet is as far as I didn't realize he was, he's been tracking moon phases and he's got his own theories on that. Like as far, and I'm like, I've never paid attention to the moon to be honest. Like yeah. that's never been something that, that I've, really thought about too much because I feel like I have so much data I'm looking at already. I don't want to confuse, <laughs> confuse it anymore, but I'm interested. I, I'm always interested when people oh, sure. do have data and like what, what they're finding with those trends. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, uh, moon definitely does influence movement. Um, and I could be wrong. It might have more of an influence than what I even think, but after the first few years, you know, it was like, why am I jotting down every single thing when I saw such a trend with weather and temperature? So uh, I think it's great that, you know, your dad is is doing exactly, you know, what I'm doing and you're getting involved and 
it's actually turned me to kind of a different approach. Like I just, I drew the line coming into this next season, even though it's so far away, but I said, you know what, I'm actually going to hunt less because luckily I'm pretty flexible with my job and everything. Um, I'm going to focus more just on hunting prime weather conditions because when I look back over the years, most of the deer I take have always been on those prime weather days. So it's not that I don't want to hunt, but I think you can pressure areas a little less and your chances of opportunity are so much greater on these prime days where I just feel like you kind of just take stabs on, on the right weather events and the right conditions. And I really think overall your success is better that way rather than just pounding areas day after day. And it, oh, in life in general, when you have a family and, you know, I have a son in sports and that, it's like, I really don't need to be probably hunting as much as, as what I used to. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. So <laughs> let's, so your, your camera study, did you start basically like from the first day of deer season through November? How did you break that down? Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Um, yeah, I'll grab some of my paperwork here. Um, so I always do like October 1st to December 10th. And there is that break period when archery ends, like, I don't know, what is it, a, 10 days or something from then, 10 or, or two weeks, whatever, you know, between the end of our archery to our gun season. Um, I still collect data during that time because it's still a really good time to collect data, in my opinion. Um, but uh, so it goes, like I said, from the October 1st to December 10th, um, I'm really only interested in what's going on in hunting season. I've kind of dabbled a little bit in other times of year. And it's funny, like in the summertime, you get way more daytime movement than generally what you'll get early to mid-October. And it's like uh, just certain times of year, you know, deer act a lot, of it dif lot differently, especially mature deer. But overall, yeah, I'm just most focused on that time frame because I want to collect data that's definitely going to help me 
in hunting season, you know, summer data, I don't think can really have a big impact or even spring compared to what you're gathering in the fall. Yeah, that makes sense. I wish we could, I wish we could hunt in September because I, I, I feel like there's a lot of big deer that move in daylight still in that middle, even like a week before our season opens, it's like, and then like the switch changes. And I don't know if that has to do with, you know, pressure sometimes of people going in and hanging their stands or, or food related, but man, it's, it's, there's some, Mm -hmm. some really good opportunities. I feel like in that middle of September. Yep. And even this past fall, um, the last week of October, because I, I was kind of collecting data then just because I knew that I was going to start the week anyways. But last week of October this past fall or, or September um, was phenomenal for mature buck movement. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that much mature buck movement. And then it kind of gets you excited because you're like, oh, here we go. Like first day of archery, you know, it's going to be on not talking like rut, but just like really good movement. And uh definitely didn't happen literally to like september 30th i had great movement and then it died right off after that so it's like you got to be kidding me it's almost as if they knew that you know just amazing uh and i and that's probably a topic for another time but i really don't know if it's one reason or a lot of different reasons but every year i tend to see little movement like the first 10 to 15 days of october and then it starts to trickle you know greater and greater as as the days go on yeah no most definitely and and i'm sure too like i I know for me most of the time my trail cameras are set up like kind of based off of that middle to end of october time frame more so than like focused on maybe what it should be for early season because it's like that's when I plan on hunting the most. That's when I'm going to, you know, I want that data rather than trying to go shuffle cameras around, you know, in the middle of October to change it for the the next stage. Like a lot of times I'll just from a time standpoint, I'll set them up based off of the time of year that I plan on spending in the woods the most. Yep. That's exactly the situation that I'm in. Like, you know, I don't get a lot of buck activity on camera for the most part early October but really my cameras aren't around a lot of buck bedding because you know I'm just focused on some hunting for myself but the majority is for my business and we're hunting in the rut so I want to have everything deployed and to where it's going to be more beneficial in these rut areas versus you know early season type stuff but still I would argue with anyone uh that that there is better, just as good a movement early October as there is, um, in late October, November, I don't think it's anywhere near as good. There is that those windows, the last hour, first hour, like I think, you know, you have movement, but not, not as much of a long range daytime movement till you get more into the rut. Yeah. So let's start in October and kind of what your data had shown as far as the, the dates there and how that correlated with weather. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but this year I also recorded mature buck movement um, because I I started to think about it more and more. I used to think it would be too difficult, but uh, after I did it this past season, it, it wasn't really too bad. Like most of the deer, probably 70% of the pictures I got, like I felt confident in aging the deer. A lot of times if they were facing away or sometimes even facing towards me, I didn't, I couldn't make good judgment, but 
I did see a major difference between mature buck data and then any buck data. Uh, the younger deer definitely move way more, you know, than, than the mature deer. But would you want to go over more of the mature stuff than yeah. the than the overall buck, or what do you think? Yeah, let's let's do the let's do the okay. mature the mature yeah, deer. So, and focus uh, on that. Yeah, and when I say mature deer, I tried to age four and a half or older. Honestly, there's probably some three and a halfs that just look four and a half. I, I, I'm not going to also say that I'm the greatest at aging deer. And then also we had such a, we've had two bad, you know, years of like no mass crops or anything. There's some older deer you'd be surprised that don't look as bulky as what they used to be. They almost look like three-year-olds. So, uh, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll kind of dive into what I got here. Um, the best day I had in early October uh, would be uh, October 3rd. Um, and that was out of a hundred and definitely say 170 cameras that time we had three daytime mature buck pictures, uh, out of 170 cameras. Um, but you look at the weather here, you look at the temperature, October 3rd, high of 50, low of 32. That was the best early season day that we had. Um, and, and I can also tell you that especially focusing on the mature buck activity this year it was really amazing and and brought to life as far as how much more mature deer are more focused on these weather patterns and you know prime prime weather versus any other deer overall so for early season that was our best day um other than that uh you know we had a handful of pictures basically until until October 19th, I only had four mature buck pictures, uh, on 170 cameras. So yeah. it's just, and, and I know it sounds just like mind boggling how slow or how bad that is. But then in, right off the bat, we talked about how tough of a year it was. And it's just amazing how sluggish these mature deer were. I mean, it was just, they were so bogged down and so lethargic. Um, it's just mind boggling and, and it can be frustrating too when you're, when you're out there hunting a deer that's hardly moving. Yeah. And, and did, uh, do you think food had anything to do with it this year as far as like acorn crop and, and, you know, beach, like I know in my areas, there wasn't really any acorns. There were some trees, but they dropped before the season even opened and they were kind of scooped up. There wasn't very many acorns. There was no beech nuts in any of the places that, that I hunted, some black cherries, um, but most of that was gone by the end of September. What about for you? What did you see from a food standpoint? Yeah, same same exact thing. We actually haven't had acorns hardly in two years. Um, I know the buck that I shot November, you know, the one in November 12th there, and that's not that deep into the rut. Um, it didn't have any fat on it. The way I look at it is like, you know, I actually watch a lot of those survivor shows, and it's amazing, like uh, – after a while when you know when they haven't eaten you can just see they're more lethargic they're moving less and if you think about it um yeah i know that there's you know probably plenty of browse and certain other kinds of foods in the woods but like acorns and um and we don't have like you know i'm sure where you're hunting too we don't have much ag or you know you can't put out food plots so when these deer are delayed going into winter to put on the right amount of fat or maybe they never really got to ever put the right amount of fat on i think their bodies are telling them like hey you know you got to take it easy because 
as much as uh, you're supposed to be reproducing and taking part in the rut and being active, you're not going to survive the winter if you go too crazy. So I do think the nutrition standpoint of it really was a big factor. Um, and, uh, you know, at least up my way, you had two years in a row. We also had pretty bad drought conditions this past year. I think some areas there's too many deer where there's probably, even if you have browse, there's not enough browse for the amount of deer in that area. So you throw all those factors in there and you're just kind of, you know, I should have realized you should be expecting to see, you know, less movement going into, in you know, through the whole hunting season. That's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely agree. And my, and from my data and my dad's and looking at it here, it was, uh, it was really slow. The 14th, there was a little bit, um, some daylight activity. And then after that, it really wasn't until the 19th and the 20th was a, was a hot day, um, from my cameras and my dad's. What about, what about you as you start going into that stretch? Yep. Yeah. Um, definitely. That's about exactly when things started to turn on, um, in fact, we have a three-day stretch here, um, October 19th, 20, and 21. Uh, we've got a total of six mature buck pictures, and I'm only talking mature deer. We, you know, I could tell you overall we had a fair amount of buck pictures those days. And, and uh, you know, the big thing about it, like I said, was from October 3rd and to the 18th, uh, we only have a handful of pictures and, and roughly th- a three week time period. And then bam, and in a three day stretch, we, we see a flurry of movement. So, and once again, I credit that to weather because, um, we, you know, we were roughly fifties and sixties and, you know, we did have some mid to high 30 degree mornings, but when you look at the temperature, uh, you know, 19th, 20 and 21st, the 19th was 40 and 34. That's the high and low 20th was, uh, 42 and 32. And then the 21st, we do have 60 and 28, but still it was that morning would be the 28 degree low on the 21st. Mm -hmm. It probably got 60 late in the day. And then after that, the movement shut down. So you could argue that temperature was a big factor in that stretch movement that we both saw. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. That that makes a whole, a whole lot of sense. And it's weird because in past years, I've seen a good jump around like the 13th through the 18th. And I didn't see that. Like, I didn't see that this year. Actually, there was even, some, there was a cold front that came in. I don't remember the specific day, but sometime in that period. And I was like, here we go. This is it. And uh, I went in and hunted and it was, uh, it was no good. And neither was, and neither were any of my cameras, which was, it was kind of odd. Yeah, I can, I'm going to, I'll look up. I should have that real quick here. Um, Cause I know I remember that and I kind of got excited about that, that weather system too. Um, I think it was around the, it looks like it was around like the 15th or so. And we, you know, I'm looking here and I got, yeah, I have one mature buck picture, the 15th. So it was almost like, you know, everything, sometimes everything lines up right. And you think, oh, you know, going to hit a home run or whatever. And it's not, you know, there's never a guarantee. I don't care what weather situation or where you're hunting. Like you're never going to have these animals completely figured out. No, no, most definitely. 
And okay, so you'd said like from the nineteenth to the twenty first you had yep. a, a good a good jump, which I had similar, you know, data there. What about after that? What it what did it look like from there? I I had a decent stretch from the twenty seventh to Halloween. Um in fact the October twenty seventh, we got four mature buck pictures that day. Um I also have three on the twenty eighth. Um, and then four on the 30th, I don't know why we didn't have anything the 29th, That just, sometimes that's just a fluke or whatever. And I actually have two on the 31st, but so you kind of look at it here and you can look at October 25th and we have a 73 degree high and a 51 degree low. But then after that temps drop into the low fifties and low thirties for four or five days, roughly. And you see that spike in movement. So um, it's, uh, <laughs> once again, I argue there that uh, temperature was a big influence on that spike in movement. Because for me, it'd be interesting to see what you guys have. But um, it was, we we have some pretty bad data the first, uh, you know, seven to 10 days in November. I'm, I mean, very, very unlikely activity for mature deer. We have some, but, you know, last year, our best day was November 6th. And then this year, I mean, I actually don't even have one mature buck photo on November 6th. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll compare that. So, uh, the 27th of October was okay. A, uh, a few photos across the board, 28th and 29th were, were actually the, the most in the entire season as far as, uh, big deer moving in daylight, um, between me and my dad's cameras. And, uh, it was, I had one camera on the 28th that had three different mature bucks on it in daylight in that spot. So maybe a doe came into heat in that area or something, but they were, they were running around kind of at all times there. It was like, I think one picture was like 9:42 a.m. There was something around 11, and then something early in the afternoon. But it was just like it was that was a really good a good day. And then even the 29th was very very good there. Not as much um, the 30th and 31st. A few pictures, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, nearly as good as the 28th and 29th from from our our data. And then yeah, you go you go out further first week of November. It was just like absolute dead on my cameras like nothing good and then my dad had a little spike on (laughs) on on november 3rd which was hot but he had had some it was hot temperature wise but he had some movement on on that day um as well (laughs) i'm back you're back (laughs) that's that's funny yeah so yeah that's that's what you get that's what you get for living in the woods (laughs) <laughs> it's so anyone that's uh listening the 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 call went out and steve just completely blacked off the screen dropped off the call i couldn't get a hold of him and the internet went out at his house and that's that's the same way if my internet went out i have no cell service at my house either so it'd be like the same exact thing yep. <laughs> uh, well now we're back we'll make it work though yeah, we don't have the the pretty bucks in the background now, but we got we got the the <laughs> roof of of Steve's truck, so that that'll do just fine. <laughs> um, All but. right, 
Yes. Uh, uh, if the question where I left off, unless you have something different, but I, I, I lost out where you said you had maybe a prime day in early November. Yeah. So November the 3rd, not on my cameras, but my dad has where six different cameras had daylight photos, but his isn't broken out into mature bucks. So I don't know what that data exactly is. It's just buck data. Yeah. Um, on the on november the third now i didn't have any of that on mine on on that date i had zero pictures during that time frame but um yeah so that and then other than that well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with a buddy's hoy rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. What's that? Yeah, no, I was going to say I have I have only one mature buck on November 3rd, but we have, have I got nine buck pictures on November 3rd overall, which were immature, but still that's, that's not too bad. Uh, but it's just, it, I'm just, I'm amazed because like no one ever has done this with me before. And, uh, I, uh, so like just to see the similarities <laughs> is like crazy. So that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, no, it is. It is pretty cool. And, and then from there, it wasn't really until November the 8th when, when things started to heat up again. And what, what does that look like from your standpoint? Um, November 8th was really, really good once again for younger deer. In fact, let me pull that up. Um, let's see here. So November 8th, we, we had, looks like, I think if I count, it looks like 20 pictures November 8th, which is pretty good, but I actually don't have a mature buck November 8th that that I could hundred percent say was a mature deer. So. 20 pictures, which I think is like a, it's gotta be in our top five or seven days of the entire season for buck photos overall. So, and it was a really good temperature weather day. Like, uh, I think I have that here. And even 
even myself, I had a really good sit that day. Um, yeah, so we have, our, it looks like, I think it was like in the, I don't want to say for sure. That was just a note I made. But if I remember right, it was in, I think it was a high in the 50s and like 30 degrees for a low that morning. Okay. Um, yeah, that was. So the, that was. That, a, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But that was the day my cousin Mason shot his big deer. I'm looking back on my phone pictures actually, and November 8th is when he shot his deer. My yep. one of my uncles shot his deer November eighth. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was uh, yep. my yeah, that was a that was a pretty decent day. It sounds like. Yeah, no, it, everything lined up right, and and that day for me, I, now I remember. I do know I saw a mature deer in the afternoon. I think I saw three or four bucks that morning, and then after that, it kind of died down for me again until the 12th i don't know what you got but uh yeah yeah it was uh the 12th was so my dad didn't really have a great day on the 12th he had a good day on the 10th um but he shot his buck on the he shot his buck on the 12th so um so but as far as camera camera data and for me mine was the same way where the 12th was where it started heating up again and then was was pretty dang good throughout like the next 10 days yep exactly uh i can say that it was about 50 percent of our mature buck photos for the whole year this is for us at least were the 12th to the 21st we also didn't go one day from the 12th to the 21st without getting multiple mature buck pictures and the 12th and 13th i have 15 pictures combined and overall for the whole season i have 83 so in two days you figure what's that like over 10 percent or something like that in just two days maybe like 12 percent or something so uh and i can also say specifically on the 12th so like at midnight um it was 60 degrees at midnight as soon as the clock struck 12 you know on november 12th but then it got down in the thirties later in the day. So big time cold front hit. And then after that, from like the 13th to the 21st, you're probably averaging highs at the most in the mid thirties. And most of the lows were in the twenties. So, I mean, it was just phenomenal weather for the rut. And I'm not saying that played the entire role into what we saw this past season, but it had a significant impact on that stretch of days being so good. Like the 12th to the 21st was the best stretch I had from, from my data. Yeah. And yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the 12th, I had the buck that I was hunting, even though I'd killed a different buck. He was daylight active. That was the first time that I had him in daylight, uh, all year since September. And he came out the 12th that evening He came rolling through, and then he showed up again on the 14th, the 18th, the 20th, the 21st, and then the 25th, which I believe was the day before gun season. Um, The 25th was a a good day, too, in November uh, for my cameras. Literally the day before gun season, and then he ended up getting killed that weekend. Um, But uh, it was just like there was a – the 20th was a, was a really good day across a bunch of cameras 
for me as well. And yep. on my dad's cameras was not like his kind of slowed down after the 20th there, which I had, I had some better action in one particular area the whole week leading up to gun season. Yeah. Um, and what I think was going on also is, and I, I don't know if you follow, uh, like on Facebook or like Dr. Deer, Dr. James Kroll, you probably have at least heard of him before. Yep. I've heard of um, him. But I know recently up in Michigan, they were testing fetuses, you know, from does that were bred this past fall. And it was just like a shocking statement that they'd never seen before. But um, they uh, they found that up in that area, most of the does were bred from like the 20th to even later than that in November. And I think there was some major flurries of hot does like the 20th to around our gun season. Maybe there was a few here and there even later than that but there's I, even though that testing was in michigan i feel like we're northernly enough that i really think that was kind of similar to what we were seeing too and some of these spikes and rutting activity that late i think there was a lot of does coming in heat late this year yeah and and also i i wanted to ask you how does this compare to 2020 because we had some similar rut conditions as far as weather goes in 2020 did you see similar data yep. then um i should have brought 2020 with me but on the top of my head um i know that in 2020 we had really good activity late october which I mean, we kind of blew through that quickly but i had my top top five days two of them were late october this year i think for me it was like 27th and 28th um so that was pretty similar except uh, uh for me in uh it would be you know 20 yeah 2020 i didn't see as good a movement later in the rut as what i saw this year but also i always say this about 2020 like we we didn't have cameras in, in, in the right areas, especially like 2020 was another drought year. We didn't have hardly anything down low. Um, didn't have, didn't have a good, good, well spread of cameras. That's why I learned from that year. And this year, even though, you know, it was still a tough year, I felt like we covered all bases and that's why I think my data is a lot more accurate, but Okay. As far as 2020, it just seems like the late October period was very similar to this what we had this year. I agree. I saw I saw the same thing in in 2020, and even just from personally hunting and the activity that I had around like the 30th time frame was was yep. really was really hot. Um, yeah, and then yeah, then there was like the eighth yep. was good that year too. The eighth was good. Um, the 14th, the 14th is like a, a good date every year. It seems like it, it, for me, at least it seems like the biggest of the big show up on the 14th and I don't know why, but it just seems like that's a, a trend. I'd say I see similar, you know, data from that as well each year. Yeah. And, and then in December, last couple of years, I've been leaving, well, it's been like four years now, I've been leaving my cameras out through rifle season and just kind of hoping that they're still there. But yep. uh, I, I, I've been seeing some like <laughs> rutting activity during gun season, like in that, it's like the fifth through the 10th, like kind of in that time period there i'm yep. seeing some there's one buck that shows up during gun season every year i never get photos of many other time and he's he's pushing does around 
Yep. No, and uh, this past season was our best year for uh, photos and gun season that I've actually ever seen. I also think, too, I think there was definitely some late writing activity going on. But up our way, I don't know about your way, but we saw significantly less hunting pressure this year than even like last year. Although we had hardly any snow. I just feel like if if there's not snow and, you know, guys go out three, four hours opening day, they, they're not seeing much. And I think they lose confidence and just seemed like the pressure up our way was so down and which really probably had a effect on those bucks not being quite as spooked and moving around more chasing does throughout gun season which i it's one of those things i i wasn't out there gun hunting i had you know a few clients hunting them but i wish i would have taken advantage of that you look back at all this stuff and you're like man i should have done this should have done that and you know it's too late but you hope to uh use everything you're learning now for next season and you know hopefully it will help that way yeah, definitely. Did you, um, I didn't ask at the beginning, but do you have like a trend where, where you're setting your cameras? Like, I know you said like you have some in the bottom, some in the tops, but like, are you running them mostly on scrapes or, or, uh, what, what's kind of like the breakdown of how you're running your cameras? Yeah, I will say, and that can affect the, some of my study a little bit is probably most of them are on scrapes and half the reason they're on a scrape is you can always get really good photos on scrapes that's as simple as that like i i don't want to say that uh you're going to get the best data or maybe the most consistent pictures on scrapes although a lot of my scrapes are just like travel corridors that there's a scrape like right on a deer trail that you know deer just it's just right in their face so i think that data is pretty accurate also you know as far as like uh where our cameras are at i mean anymore like they're on the creek bottoms like you um i've got them at the lower third midway high up like they're just literally everywhere because i feel like i'm trying to learn everything i can from running all these cameras and if i have them all in just a couple different locations or a couple different types of terrain features or elevations that i don't you know i'm not going to learn as much so really having them spread out that's why like i said this past season I'm very confident in the data that I have. Like, I don't feel we could have done a lot differently. It's very widespread and, you know, it should be accurate to at least what was happening in our area. And then when I talk to you and I'm seeing similar trends, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. We're kind of seeing a lot of the same movements. Yeah, no. And and that's the same thing that, that I've tried to do too, is like really spread my cameras out. And sometimes it might not even be in places I normally would think. But I, I like, I call them just yep. kind of like test cameras. Like it'll just be like, yep. I don't really know why, but it just looks like it could be good. And I'll just like toss one there and see. And, and sometimes that yep. doesn't even have anything to do with scrapes. It could be on some trails. It could be on a little, it just doesn't, you know, sometimes there's not really a really good yep. rhyme or reason other than me trying, other than me trying to test things, you know? Yep. Nope. I usually, I probably out of 170. I probably had 20 like that and they're like 50, 50 deals. If that, you know, a lot of times they don't pan out, but then even if you you say, you know, me, I had 20, but if, if I even had three or four that really showed me something like going into next season, like that's very, very helpful information that you can use going into next season. And I'm sure just like you, I, uh, I, 
I literally don't check them for sometimes I had one, I kid you not that I, I was laid on it. I went a year and a half without ever even checking it and it was okay. It wasn't what I was really hoping for, but I, I got some key intel on it, but it's like, it's just, it's really amazing when you wait like a year or six months or whatever, and then grab all that Intel. Like it, it's, it seems like it's more fulfilling that way than like checking your camera every week. And you don't really see that, that whole year end pro or year long process of when a spot turns on and you know, when it's not good and how often this buck comes through or certain patterns. Like it's really neat to watch it in a long period of time like that. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it can be like leaving cameras out because I do that a lot, but it's like, it can be one of two ways. Either a bear is going to rip it off a tree or something happens and, it, and you're like, man, I wish I would have checked it earlier. Or, or you just get that data. <laughs> yep. Like you're, you're talking about, yep. I actually, I have a camera in New York that I put up last December. So in 2021, so I, I just, I kind of forgot about it and I haven't been back and I'm like, I need to get up there and check that camera if it's still there. But <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll see whether uh, that camera is still there when I get back up. <laughs> yep. Nope. I have, I have some like that as well. And I never put a lot of times my best camera. I'll usually put like a cheap Tasco there for those situations but overall like those are probably some of my favorite ones it's like uh it's really like a kid on christmas like it's kind of like a once a year or once or twice a year check and it's just always exciting to see what you're gonna get you know <laughs> yeah oh, it really is and and uh, one thing i wanted to note about the data too is so i ran uh, about a half a dozen cameras down in West Virginia, uh, this, this past year, or, you know, it was year four or five or six. I don't remember. I haven't checked them all yet. Um, but there's some that I did mm -hmm. that I was, that I did pull when I was down there rut hunting. So I had, and I was like around the 20th. So I had data up until then. And, uh, there was actually some similarities in West Virginia to Pennsylvania as far as certain dates. And it, it it kind of blew my mind because down there, it the rut is typically later, so maybe it was more of a traditional oh, year. Okay. Um, normally, like it's like from the like you look like the fifteenth of Thanksgiving is always like really good down there, but it was just like a lot of the days, even in October, uh, some of the days lined up as far as the 20th being a good movement day and some other things that was just, it was, it was really interesting to, to see some, very, a lot smaller of a, a camera study, but it, it still was, was interesting to see some of those trends. Yeah. And they're probably seeing some of the same weather patterns and that as us. And I, you know, cause I'm always posting this, this information and just amazing. Like how many people are like, Steve, I saw the same exact thing. And sometimes it's in another state or at least two, 300 miles away. And it's, uh, it, you know, and then it's, it's all time of year and weather and with a lot of these movement patterns. And for the most part, like I get people, I get more people agreeing with what I'm seeing than people are like, I saw completely opposite of that. So it, it definitely makes you start to take it more seriously and realize, okay, this isn't all just a fluke. Like if everybody else is mainly seeing what I'm seeing, then I need to be focusing on what I'm learning from gathering all this data. Yeah. So I guess that, that, that transitions to like, what, 
what do you think, what will that change as far as like your postseason uh, strategy, scouting, um, and then kind of going into this next year? Does any of this camera data change kind of how you're looking at the woods? Oh, yeah, every year, um, you know, and I can't always say that, you know, every year is the same as the last, but I'll always kind of start off the next season based on what I saw last year. And I always put it this way. It usually gets you in the ballpark, but then you'll have to make some adjustments as you, you know, as the season goes on. There's always going to be different things that happen, different food sources, hunting pressure, you know, different factors that are always going to mix things up for you. But it's still always good enough to 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 use, especially when, like you said, you record like, you know, history with individual bucks and their movements, which way they're going to and from and that kind of stuff like i think that's all important but but you you also can never like say that he came through last year november 6th on a cold front and a west or a you know north wind and it's never quite that easy but it always gets your foot in the door for the most part you know yeah. if, if that makes sense yeah i i 100 agree and like it's the thing that i think is really important from like this past year to learn from is like all right, we have another year with similar conditions, not much food, drought type conditions, you know, browse was yep. turning browner earlier, like the greenery was turning brown and like all those things. And you start seeing a year yep. like that again, you, you can make those changes. Like, I mean, like I, I attribute me killing my buck this past year to what I saw in 2020 because I was like, okay, I was hunting some yep. of these tops and some of these higher spots when it was hot. And my camera data showed me that they were on these hemlock side hills and down in the creek bottoms. And during that period, yep. like, cause it was prolonged hot weather, like a day of hot weather, whatever's not going to really move them. I, in my opinion, that much where you start getting prolonged, they're going to have to adjust. They need to get water. They need to, you know, there's differences, you know, some shade yep. and that, you know, made me move into those types of locations. And, you know, eventually it ended up killing a deer. And I, I look at that just as much as like the dates and everything, try to look at conditions and food and hunting pressure, all that stuff kind of, um, you know, weighs in on it. And the more years that you do this, like us that have done it our whole lives, like you start building yep. this catalog in your mind and, uh, all of a sudden you're like, you start seeing something that's weird, uh, a different trend that you haven't seen in the last few years, but you're like, Oh, I remember in 2015 that we had something similar to this. And this is what I remember from it. And now that, you know, having this data and spreadsheets, man, it's like, or a notebook. It's just another, an, another thing for you to be able to, to go back on and, and really be able to learn going forward. Nope. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, especially if you do it for a long period of time, like two, three years of it. I mean, you're going to get some really good information, but there's a lot of different things and different factors that, you know, five, 10 years, at least of recording this kind of data and, experiencing a lot of different, you know, different situations, you know, that can happen in the big woods, you know, that's when you're really going to benefit from it. It's, it's never too late to start, but I think the, the longer you do this, the better it's really going to help you out, you know, in the long run. And, and, you know, it's when you brought up those, I don't mean to beat around the bush, but when you brought up like you shooting your buck in a Creek bottom early November, like, that's 
I totally screwed up because we were we were late on that find, and I should have I should have recognized that because the best activity we had in the earlier part of November was in creek bottoms, and it was hot. So a lot of our creek bottoms, just like you said, they have hemlock. They're shadier. They're going to be cooler. Plus, really, that's about the only place there was a good water source because all those higher mountain springs in that were all dried up. And you figure, even though they're not riding real heavy on those warm days, they're still moving more than usual. They're going to be extremely thirsty. I mean, you you definitely, you know, hit the nail on the head as far as your setup and being in the right place at the right time. That's that's a mistake that I made uh, in November. I should have focused more, you know, around those creek bottoms because that's really about the only place it was happening. Yeah. I, I mean, it just... It and it took me screwing that up myself to like learn that and like you know and come back to it and and with that being said, I hunted it for I hunted in those types of areas for three days prior to that and I didn't see a single deer and it was hot so like sure. it just yep. it take it it still takes the time and and you know a stroke of luck to throw that in there but the one the spot I moved to that afternoon where I ended up shooting that buck that was a, I wasn't sitting in that exact spot for the previous 3 days but I went down in there and it was just like you felt cool it felt cooler it was 74 degrees that day and it felt 10 yeah. or 15 degrees cooler down in that spot and it just felt good you know it felt good and he came you know running up and and it and it worked out but uh sometimes it doesn't but it's just like you learn Absolutely. from those those mistakes every year that you that you make and try to try to be able to rekindle those those you know memories when you're in the heat of it and you're not you're struggling and struggling to find sign and struggling to find deer i mean i said it multiple times like this past year there was there was never a season where i felt like i knew nothing about deer as much as this past season as far as trying to <laughs> to get on them up until that point you know it was just a uh, it was tough and yeah it was just tough yep and that's for the experience of especially in big woods because Many times in big woods, you're not seeing anything, but yet you're in the right spot <laughs> and you're able to tell yourself, I'm doing everything right. This is just part of this kind of hunting. And that's where the experience factor plays a big part because nine out of 10 hunters are going to be like, okay, I haven't seen a deer in three days. I'm doing something wrong. You were doing everything right. You didn't have the weather helping you. Um, you were in the right type of area and you know that's that's what all boils down to is experience and and this kind of environment because in my opinion you know i've talked to hunters all over the country and i think where we hunt and not just this specific spot but this type of hunting is is the most challenging it's the most uh mind-boggling i mean it it can beat you up both mentally and physically so if you're not prepared for that it's not going to be for you yeah. And it's funny, Steve, it's funny you and I being on this and, you know, from similar types of areas, it's like, it's not, you know, people see, you know, some of the, the pictures that you get and everything. It's like, Oh, there must be big deer everywhere. It's like, no, actually like it's not, spe <laughs> it's not special at all from that standpoint. It's just like you're running a ridiculous amount of cameras, like, and it's taking a ridiculous amount of time yep. to do that and find these deer. And that can be applied to other areas just, fine and you know and 
I'm sure you get this too, is like, oh, aren't you worried about like pressure and people coming to the areas that, that you're in? And it's like, not really, because it's really going to take someone that's serious to want to do it more than a year or two. Cause it's going to, it's, it's a literally you're, you're putting, I don't want to be over dramatic and saying a lifetime, but it's pretty close to like, you you need to dedicate a lot of time <laughs> to figuring it out and, and, and working towards it. And I don't think that many people want to do that. Now I think it's, it's super cool when, when they do, and those are the type of people I want to hang around, but it's, it's not easy and it's, there's, yep. there's no way around it. Oh, I know you're, I know you, you do it smart where you say that you're not, you don't respond to any messages during hunting season because you're focusing, <laughs> but like the amount of people that'll reach out and be like, I, I'm doing these things. I'm going to this sign and I'm not seeing anything. And what do you think? And I'm like, I think you're doing the right yep. thing. You just got to put in more time. Like, you know, it's like, and that's, that's all there yep. is to it. Like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna take time to, to figure it out, but I don't know. That's just uh kind of a, yep. not a no, rant, it, but I'm, something I notice. No, that's, that's what I, what I was trying to say. And honestly, like, I mean, I've been very fortunate, lucky, whatever, but as much experience as I have, I never go into any hunting season in Pennsylvania thinking I'm going to kill a buck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, granted, I would feel pretty confident I could at least kill a legal buck every year, but it is so hard to consistently kill mature deer here that as confident as someone might think I am, I never go into, like, I'm completely humble, not so much to try to just tell myself to be humble, but I've been humbled one too many times in these, these woods, this environment that I know how hard it is. And it's always just a, a huge blessing and extremely rewarding whenever you do have success here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And Steve, I want to, I want to be respectful to your time. I know you got to get rolling here, but thank you for jumping on and, and going through yeah. this data. I think that was really cool to, to be able to compare some of this stuff and hopefully, you know, help others that, uh, you know, had a struggle this past season too, and can, you know, make sense of a little bit of it. So thank you. And, uh, tell yeah. everybody where they can find, um, any of your stuff as you're putting out, always putting out good information. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you can just find me on social media anymore. Uh, Shirk's guide service, either on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I don't have a website anymore. I just couldn't keep up with it, uh, and handle it right. But, uh, I love, uh, like I said, every time, whether I'm on this podcast or I'm always, it seems like whenever I do a podcast, I always seem to get new followers and meet all kinds of great people. So definitely, uh, if you're a new person that doesn't know about me, uh, give, uh, give me a follow and, uh, definitely shoot me a message and I'd be definitely, uh, looking forward to, to getting to know as, you know, as many great hunters, it's just amazing how many passionate people, it seems like anymore, there's only, you only have like the real passionate hunters and that's about it, but it, it's definitely, uh, something that, uh, that I, I feel very honored to, uh, just to, to be a part of to say the least yeah awesome again thank you steve uh yeah well, even with the technical difficulties we knocked it out and uh yeah always <laughs> appreciate it all right take care bud we'll see you later 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.